curve kind of form where you know there's gold in there. You can see sparkles of it, but getting at the gold is very difficult. And you're like, well, it's, it is what it is. I can't get at that. And part of what we're blessed to do is being able to say, well, no, here's how you can get at that gold. Here's how you can um, refine it, mine it, and we can now make that ready to deploy into kingdom purposes. Um, so that's kind of the, the first thing is what was previously thought to be unavailable for um, generosity, for kingdom impact. We can show them that it can be available. Welcome to the Generosity Now podcast, where we bring you inspiring stories of generosity and whole life stewardship. Our goal is to showcase individuals and organizations making a positive impact in our communities and across the globe. I'm your host, Eric Mose, president of the National Christian Foundation, Rocky Mountain Region, and I'm joined by my marvelous co-host, Lori Bossert, VP on our team. Lori, how are you doing today? Oh, this is going to be a great podcast, Eric. I'm excited. Absolutely. So am I. So we are in the middle of a solution series where we're highlighting organizations that help to solve some of your giving frustrations. Um, and in this episode, we're actually talking with Jeff Waldron. Jeff is one of the incredible complex gift attorneys with NCF and works specifically with our team. You know, oftentimes we're not actually talking about the specific work of NCF here on the Generosity Now podcast, but we wanted to bring um, Jeff to the show and be able to talk about asset-based giving and all the different tools that are available for you in your charitable giving. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks, Eric and Laurie. Great to be here. Hey, hey Jeff, uh, thanks so much for being here. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you come from? Tell us about background. How'd you come to the Lord? We just love to get to know our guests. Um, I grew up in uh, Minnesota, Burnsville, Minnesota. It's a suburb of Minneapolis. Um, grew up in a, a, a Christian family. Now, not a perfect family, uh, but a family where uh, the Lord was loved and uh, participated in church regularly. My parents were involved in the youth group. Um, more, more of a shallow theology but um, definitely uh, knew the gospel. Um, did not embrace that fully as a kid. And then when I went off to college, um, really lived a worldly college life, did not have much to do with faith. I wasn't a um, you know, rebellious kid as a teenager, but that kind of came out more in my college years. And um, got married right after college. I uh, started dating my wife when we were 16 years old, actually. We met at the, the Mall of America working together yeah. of all places and eventually um, uh, got married right after college and moved down to Des Moines, Iowa, where we went to law school. And through that, the Lord started, I think, clearing ground, like getting our hearts ready for um, the eventual conversion, bringing, uh, bringing us back to faith. And uh, I was working after law school, worked at a law firm in, in uh, Des Moines for a year and a half or so. And then we came back to Minneapolis and started working at a, a, a large firm in Minneapolis. And I was commuting downtown, uh, riding the bus to work every day. And this is kind of, you know, some people have like this dimmer switch faith journey where it's like hard to pinpoint. This is the moment the Lord regenerated me, saved me, called all that, um, for me, there was, there was a moment, there was a, like a light switch moment, um, that everything changed. And like I said, he was leading up to this and I, I was commuting, taking the bus and I missed my bus one day and, uh, had to drive downtown and I was just flipping through radio stations randomly and ended up on one of the Christian talk radio stations. And, uh, this guy was talking about 
things of faith in a way that was new to me. Like I had not, um, uh, engaging the mind, uh, talking about the existence of God and it was just enraptured me. So I got to work actually. And I started watching, uh, videos. Um, there's a guy named Ravi Zacharias who, um, has kind of a, a tragic end to his story, but the Lord used him mightily in many lives and including mine. And I'm listening to all these videos. And I'm just kind of floored. And uh, I ended up looking at uh, his speaking engagements on his website. And he had one, uh, one speaking engagement in North America, like in the next six months, only one, because he travels all over the world. And it happened to be in Minnesota the very next night. Mm. So I was like, fell back in my seat. Um, like something's going on here. I called my wife. We had two, two young children at the time. I'm like, I, I'm going to Rochester, Minnesota tomorrow because this guy, this all happened. And she's kind of used to me doing spontaneous things. That's, that's kind of my MO. She's like, okay. And uh, so I went down to Rochester. The Mayo Clinic of all places was doing a series on what it means to be human. And Robbie was speaking from a Christian perspective and they were having him. And uh, I got there, uh, was in the front row and it was just like, me and him. And I left that place to a new person. That's all I can describe it. I, I was just overcome with emotions because I think the Lord showed me um, just so much in that. I, I remember in particular, and if, if I'm rambling too much, you can redirect me, but he had one uh, thing he said, uh, we're just uh, talking about whether it's uh, where the Pharisees approach Jesus and says, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And he says, well, give me, give me a denarius and, you know, whose inscription is on this, um, the Caesars, this is render to Caesar, what is Caesar and render to God, what is God's. And the, the passage ends there. Uh, and Robbie's like, you know, they didn't ask the follow-up questions. Like, well, what is God's to which Jesus would have said, well, whose inscription is on you? It's like you, you are God's, you are God. And that just hit me so hard. And I'm like driving home, just overcome with emotion. I'm like crying as I'm driving to work the next day. I see a tree and I'm like, the Lord of the universe made that tree. And um, I get a little obsessive. So I like read the entire Bible in three months and I'm telling everybody. Um, so I, I'd say that was the, the, a very impactful, obviously, moment in my faith journey. Um, there were two other um, components that I'll, I'll, I'll try to make a little quicker. The, um, the second was almost a year to the date after that, I was plugged into a Bible study at that point. And there was one, um, it was going with a guy from work, a, kind of a spiritual mentor of mine. Uh, and there was someone in the Bible study that was saying things that didn't make sense with what I was reading. Um, it was coming from a prosperity gospel mindset. And as we were walking back to our office, I, I was asking my my mentor about that. And he's like, well, that's called the prosperity gospel. And so I get to my computer and I start typing prosperity gospel because I have no idea what this is. And you know how Google will autofill things? Mm. He autofills, Google autofills after prosperity gospel, uh, John Piper. And I'm like, okay, let's watch this. And this video just blows me away um, where if you know anything about John Piper and his ministry, he is very opposed to the prosperity gospel, very committed to um, biblical Christianity, the glory of God. And that just immersed me in, in that and um, really impacted our family as I um, uh, led us through uh, just dedicating our lives to Christ. And um, 
you, we, we have we have four kids now. Um, you know, they're 16, 14, almost 12, and 9. And the Lord has been very faithful. Um, the final piece of my faith journey, which I think is the most impactful and the one that I've learned that, that I've appreciated more and more the older I get and as my kids get older. Um, and that I think was God's providence over all of this. So, you know, it uses like Ravi Zacharias or John Piper in these tactical ways. The most impactful thing is I had a praying mother and a praying grandmother relentlessly praying. And I'm very, very dependent upon God, knowing his goodness, knowing his heart for his children. And they just women of prayer. And um, I just marvel at his goodness to me and um, having a grandmother and a mother who, um, you know, my mom continues to be a a strong woman of prayer for her children and and my children. So that's our journey. That's kind of how we've gotten to where we're at and there's a lot more in between, but, um, that's, that's the gist of it. Jeff on the generosity now podcast, we talk a lot about generosity and whole life stewardship. Would you share a bit of your journey as it relates to those two generosity and stewardship? You know, growing up, we didn't have a whole lot. We didn't have cable television or video games or anything. I remember making a little cardboard Nintendo to pretend I played Nintendo. And, um, but my parents were very, um, generous with themselves and uh their their time and serving in the youth group and having stuff at our house and so i think that was modeled um my mom always embraced chaos in a in a good way like neighborhood kids coming in and out and our our house was just welcoming and not like a place where don't touch this don't touch that um it was just come and be here and so i think that um, my mom's influence there, uh, as I reflect, has really rippled into a lot of our lives where we, we embrace a lot of messiness, um, uh, get into a lot of situations that we don't know where it's going to lead, but it feels like the Lord's calling us to be in this person's life or um, serve in this realm. That's been a real, I think, impact. Um, I've always been a very observant person. I grew up a very shy, not popular kid was captain of the chess team if that gives you any uh glimpse into my popularity um but i was very observant it's kind of a wallflower and i'm very intuitive so um just i think the lord um showing me a lot of yeah emotional and personal needs of people around me like i i, I like to um just get in people's lives in that way uh he's been teaching me more and more um on whole life stewardship. I, I love that concept. Um, you know, I think about this word picture, I guess comes to my mind. Have you ever done an escape room? Either of you done one of those before? Mm-hmm. No. Nope. Do you know the concept at least? Oh, you're like, yeah. yep. Okay. Yeah. So you're thrown into this, this place that has all this random stuff. And some of it is, like, what's the point of that? There's something odd about it. And there, there's like weird interconnections. Um, some things have no purpose. Some things have a lot of purposes. And you just kind of got to meander your way through the room and start picking stuff up and seeing, touching stuff. And like, well, maybe this is a clue. And I think our lives are a lot like that, where we're thrown into this escape room and it's filled with all this stuff or these gifts or these skills or these struggles and it's not an accident. I think that's 
how we we tend to interact with it is like, okay, I'm in this room and this stuff is here to sustain me and help me just survive. And there's an element of that, but there's also clues to it. Like you, if you're really good with uh, people and you have a heart for a certain um, certain type of person, you, that's a clue that the Lord has placed that in your life that you ought to walk into that. Um, similarly, if he's, if he's put a lot of wealth or business um, into your life, that's not for you. That's a clue as to what he'd have you do of to your purpose in this life. And um, to, to see it in a narrow, well, this is, you know, I'm, I'm writing a check to some end that there is something like uh, that, that there is an element of that where you're doing a purpose uh, or um, cert- accomplishing some goal. But there's also this broader purpose of you being who you're created to be and to worship the Lord with all you are. And um, so I think that's a lot of what, when I think of the whole life stewardship, as you said that phrase, that's what comes to my mind is, is you're trying to figure out what mix of circumstances, skills, talents, struggles, and all that has the Lord given you and being faithful with that. If, if you have trials, be faithful with the trial. If you have children, be faithful with the children. If you don't, be faithful with that. It's just there. There is a, a a more surrendered, peaceful approach to life when you're when you go through that process. You you talked about working in a, a big law firm and uh, your faith journey and and, and walking. And grateful for that. I'm I'm wondering what what in your life and work led you to join the National Christian Foundation. I pursued law school and being a lawyer. I think primarily. I was an insecure overachiever, which I think most lawyers are um, to some degree. And you're, you're kind of in this place where, you know, at least this was me. I, I knew I was bright. I knew I wanted to make a bunch of money. Um, I was not a believer at that point. And so that was a natural path. And um, by every marker was very successful academically, got a really good job and was doing well in that. And, um, Actually, when I when I became a believer, that was in 2010, uh, that experience that I talked about earlier, um, something troubling but wonderful happened where I had been building my life on this foundation of success and money and prestige and all that. And then when I became to know Jesus for who he was and just took over my life, that false foundation started crumbling. Praise God. But I found myself in free fall and it was a really, really hard time. And I did not know, it was hard for me to have the, the motivation to do the work I was doing. Be, being in a big law firm is a, is a hard life, especially for a more emotional person like myself. Um, I connected well with people and I had great client relationships and was successful for that reason. Um, but there's a, there's a different level of, there's a grind to it. And there's, um, I was not well suited for that. So I, f- I found myself in that free fall. Um, and eventually the Lord stabilized me. And I, I was like, this is what I'm called to do. I am um, I'm providing for my family. I'm making an impact on clients. I'm serving in my church and all that. And, and sometimes the Lord gives a vocational blessing where it lines up with your passion. Sometimes that's what happens, but oftentimes it's not. And that was okay. Like I got to the point of knowing 
Um, like there is a subtle prosperity gospel my heart believed that um, it wasn't, if I follow the Lord faithfully, I'm going to get wealth and I'm going to be healthy and all that, that very overt version. There was a subtle one though, that was like, well, I'm, I'm committed to Jesus. I want to serve. I want to pour out my life um, for some kind of ministry. I mean, we looked at going to the mission field. We looked at all these things. And um, I think the Lord showed me, well, there's a subtle prosperity gospel there. I don't promise you a vocation that fulfills all of, uh, that lines up completely. You might toil for the rest of your life and that's okay. And I, I got okay with that. Um, and, and so I, I was, um, became a partner in the firm. I was doing well and, um, but still continually had this, I guess, sorrow, um, would be that would pop up here and there. And, um, I started, I became an elder at our church and started pursuing pastoral ministry as uh, like, this is what I want to do. And I'm working, I had this plan where I'm going to work um, and start my own law firm because I had enough clients and I was doing well enough where I could just do that and give myself more flexibility uh, to have my own firm while I did seminary and uh, started winding down or, or became either bivocational. I really am intrigued by a bivocational ministry model um, and so I was kind of headed towards that path. And then I had a client who was pursuing a gift uh, with National Christian Foundation. And I got to know Jeff Carver in the Twin Cities. And Tim and I struck up a friendship. And I tend to overshare and be overly vulnerable. And maybe our third time hanging out, I told him, you know what? I don't like being uh, a lawyer. If, if you have other um, Christian business owners that you know, I'd, I'd love to talk to them, talk about their business and all that. And he like, well, maybe you should talk to um, Jeannie McMaines, who's the, uh, one of the top gift planning attorneys in the country, works at NCF. And, and her and I eventually connected and really just hit it off. And I got to hear more about uh, the work at NCF. And I kind of fell back in my chair a little bit because what I saw was this intersection in such a unique way of my giftings, my personality, my spiritual uh, aptitude and desire that was unique. I could never even dreamed a job like this existed where I can use legal and tax skills. I can use my uh, obsession for the word and my love for people and my ability to connect with them in this unique way where it almost seems like the Lord uniquely designed me to, to fit this role. And so going back to that um, escape room kind of analogy, I kind of saw the pieces come together, but it wasn't me seeing it. It's all of a sudden like the Lord, like the time was right. That's how I, I look at it. It's like I needed to um, struggle for about 15 years. And now he's redeeming a lot of that. I was doing high level legal and tax work, which I didn't think was going to be redeemed at all in a ministry context. And now I'm seeing, wow, that's really impactful that you've um, participated in all these transactions. I was an M&A attorney working with businesses uh, on the tax side. And that really comes into play. And then my desire for uh, pastoral ministry, um, getting into people's lives, bringing the the word to bear on real things, that comes into play in what we do as we talk about whole life stewardship and our givers walking that faith journey of how would the Lord have them worship with all they've been entrusted. And so um, I, I oftentimes will just sit back and in awe of how the Lord's worked. And I'm just so thankful. And, um, and I, I just know it wasn't... Um, Nothing I, I, I'm owed or deserved. I'm, I'm just, and then one of just faithfully run this race he's put before me. 
um, pour myself out as much as I can. And Jeff, it it is true. I, I mean, I see it every day that we, you and I get to work together of how all of those skills God has given you and all of that gifting, you bring it to the table and with the heart, you know, of a servant to help our givers. And it's just, it's really fun. You and I um, get to work on a lot of the asset-based giving projects together in our office. And it's really fun. Um, it's really fun to be able to use our people skills alongside of the technical skills. And what a joy that that's all wrapped around in the gospel that we share with our givers. Um, would you, yeah, would you give an overview to our listeners on why giving from assets is so powerful? I think of um, so many wealthy individuals, their, their wealth is locked up in non-liquid things. It's not cash. It's not in their checking account. It's in a business. It's in real estate. It's in mineral rice. It's in something else. And uh, it's kind of like um, gold that's mined when it's in this rough ore kind of form where you know there's gold in there. You can see sparkles of it, but getting at the gold is very difficult. And you're like, well, it's, it is what it is. I can't get at that. And part of what uh, we're blessed to do is being able to say, well, no, here's how you can get at that gold. Here's how you can um, refine it and mine it. And we can now make that ready to deploy into kingdom purposes. Um, so that's kind of the, the first thing is what was previously thought to be unavailable for um, generosity, for kingdom impact. We can show them that it can be available. Mm. Um, in a various form. So that's one thing. And then the ability to really accelerate the impact is there uh, with, with asset-based giving. Because usually when we're looking at an asset, it's something where they bought it low and now it's worth a lot. So there's a lot of gain uh, locked up in that asset. So if they were to sell it, they're going to have a lot of tax to pay. And that's going to that's gonna eat away at what they can get to charity. Um, with various assets, there's a ability to gift that actual asset and that gain can then be absorbed by charity where um, charity will pay oftentimes no tax, um, but certainly less tax than, than the giver would, which means more dollars to kingdom purposes. So there's, a, there's an element of stewardship, not just in giving, but in how you give. Because oftentimes we're talking about a timing thing. You might have an asset that I'm going to sell this in a year. And I'm going to sell it. And then I'm going to pay some tax and I'm going to write a check. And then the alternative is, well, what if rather than that, you just gave the asset and charity sold it. We're just really changing the timing. Yes, there's some complexity that's going to go into that. And we're going to talk about that when we um, interact with givers and their advisors. Um, but really at the end of the day, you're changing the timing and if by engaging in a little complexity and changing that timing, you can have 2x go to kingdom purposes, there's a stewardship element and a joy of, of really impacting these causes uh, even more. I love that picture that you gave of uh, mining out of that raw gold ore and the, and the opportunity that's there. Um, and, and we've hit on this just a little bit already, but could you give some examples of, of like where, you know, good assets and, and, and how that can be really powerful to, to use for, for, like you said, greater kingdom impact in, in giving? Most of what we interact with, uh, I'd say it's either real estate. Well, let me start with the lowest hanging fruit, actually, public stock. I, I, do you want me to talk about that Great. at all? I mean, 
specifically is it helps um, give some of the concepts because the concepts uh, are the elementary concepts are the same throughout. So with public stock, uh, that's your your best example. So let's say you have um, shares of uh, Tesla or something that you bought really low, and now it's worth a lot. Uh, let's say you bought it for a hundred, now it's worth a thousand. I have no, I don't follow the stock market, so I don't know what actually things are at. Um, so you have nine hundred dollars of gain built into that, um, and if you go and sell that asset, you're going to have that on your tax return. Uh, let's just say it's a 20% tax rate. Um, that's 900 times 20%. It's $180 of tax you'd have to pay on that. So you take that off the top of the the $1,000. So you sold it for 1000 You pay 180 in tax. And now you have 820 to send to charity. Okay, um, And you'll get a deduction for that. Um, when you give the asset away, that $1,000 asset... Charity sells that and doesn't pay any tax, and you still get the full deduction. So you're in the exact, you're actually in a, in a better place because now you have that uh, full deduction you can use against other income. Charity, rather than getting $820, is getting 1000 and it's increasing the impact. So that's the basic concept of, of why asset-based giving makes a lot of sense, is, is the tax law allows that to happen and charity um, can sell those assets and realize um, more money for charitable purposes. When you get to more complicated assets, that principle is still the same. There's just a whole lot of complexities that go into it. Um, so I'd say going along the spectrum of complexity, you know, starting with that public stock. Next up is probably real estate. Um, real estate, it's tangible. It's relatively simple as compared to like a business interest. Um, and so a gift of real estate can be really a powerful thing. And um, it can, let's, that you can almost have that same example where there's a bunch of gain. It's probably been depreciated over time. So most, most real estate investors, when they're ready to get out of a property, it's gone up in value. They've taken depreciation deductions, which has lowered their basis, which is the amount they've invested in the property. So the difference between the sales price and the basis that's their gain. So you have this big latent gain built into it. Most of what they do is they'll sell it and uh, use something called a 1031 exchange, which the tax code allows you to roll it into another property. And they're kind of on this treadmill of reinvesting in properties until they die. That's that's the only way really off of the 1031 treadmill. Uh, the other way, though, is to give that property away. So they it's, let's say it's a million-dollar property that their basis is $100,000, that's 900,000 of gain built into that. And rather than um, going through the 1031 process, they can actually give that property away. Um, charity can sell it and have no gain. Uh, this is, if there's debt that adds some complexity, this is where you start getting um, part of our role as a gift planning attorney is working through those and um, helping to identify issues for a giver's advisor team. But assuming no debt, charity sells that uh, tax-free. And that's all that gain just evaporates and they, you still get a deduction for the value of the property and um, the impact to charity is, is significant. Another version of that is sometimes we'll uh, take that similar property and we'll actually um, hold it for the, the benefit of, of the, the giving fund and that will generate cash flow for many years. And that could be even a family legacy. We, we want this property to 
be an engine for generosity for many years to come. And so that's another version uh, with real estate. Uh, with business interests, we take lots of those in. That's, a, I'd say, another notch up on the, the complexity factor, um, just because businesses are complex. And there tends to also be more possibility for emotional connection to the business, especially if it's a, um, the founder of the business or something they've run for a long time. Um, we certainly take a lot of private equity type gifts as well, where it's less of a emotional connection, but more of a economic thing. Um, but there's there's benefits in, in doing that. And in the different types of businesses, whether it's a LLC tax as a partnership or a C corporation or S corporation, all of those have their own different uh, complexities to navigate um, as you go through that. And they're all really fun as we get to pick apart all those details, isn't it, Jeff? It is. It is. And it's, but it is something um, to be eyes wide open on when, when a giver comes into this. It's not a, not a super simple thing. Uh, it's that stewardship discussion again. And sometimes it's not the right thing for some people. If if the complexity and the level of benefit isn't there, um, we're very candid about that. What, what we want, what I know you guys want, what everyone is, is just the, the Lord's will to be done for our givers to be fully informed and to be aware of the possibilities. Whether or not they go down a particular route, that's between them and the Lord. We just, our ministry is one of information and empowerment. And so we want people to just know this is possible. If the Lord's calling them to something else, then that's what the Lord's calling them to do. And it's, and, but the most efficient thing is not always the right thing. Uh, I, I think of uh, um, Mary pouring out the ointment on Jesus, where economically, as, as people around him in that situation were um, somewhat disgusted that she had wasted so much resources that could have benefited the poor on this act for Jesus. And he says, this is a beautiful thing. This was an act of worship that she was called to. And, and she's going to be talked about wherever I'm talked about. And so there are situations where that might, the giver in the, in the journey the Lord's taking them on might be very, might not be the most efficient, um, but we want them to be aware of that possibility. And, and to the extent the Lord's calling them to walk through that, we want to walk alongside them and, and be a, also a pastoral voice um, to come alongside in that as well. Hmm. So one of the things that we didn't really touch on in those examples was that we can also do partial interest of those business interests or real estate. It doesn't have to be an all or nothing. That's right. Yeah. And that's probably most of what we do, especially with business interests. Um, we'll, we'll become like a 20% owner of the business. And um, oftentimes that's there, there's in the next year or so, six months to a year, they're going to pursue a sale. And um, there are some important rules around gift timing. Like the, you can't, well, we've got a sale all ready to go. And um, now we want to uh, do this gift. Uh, that's just not something that works with the tax law the way it is. Um, so usually a gift is made well in advance of that, but it's, it can be a partial interest. And same with real estate. You can do partial interests of real estate um, and uh, that can just be managed in, in a particular way. We have a wonderful asset management team that uh, is, is dynamic and able to work with all types of, of assets where we co-own them with givers. And that's where we're really trying to work with the givers and their giving strategy and what their goals are of how to do some of and put it into practice for them and help them describe it. And so when they're having a wealth event, 
to offset that with a larger charitable gift can often be a strategy that they're thinking about. And that's where this partial interest gift can really be beneficial to them. And we do talk about gift economics with our givers. Um, we want everything to be the best for them and just help describe some of those, those details to them in the process. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a huge part of what we do is we collect a lot of data, a lot of information, and uh, what's kind of a first step of understanding the facts, understanding the economics of this. And does this make this, will this result in a material amount of benefit to kingdom purposes? That's kind of our test number one, if you will. Um, and, and always adamant on having a giver's advisor team involved. Um, I think of ourselves, we're like Sherpas climbing the mountain. Uh, we're, we're, we're pointing out pitfalls. We're pointing out this path has seemed to work best for people. Um, but ultimately, ad advisors need to be in involved. Um, we can be a resource. And I, I used to bill all my time at $400 an hour in a law firm. And, and now I'm, I'm free of charge um, for, the, for the glory of God and I love being poured out for, for that and um, spend a lot of time with givers, with advisors, um, just thinking through things. I've, I've advisors that will just reach out to me to bounce ideas off or, or and I, I love doing that. And so we're, we're available for that kind of thing. It's something you mentioned earlier um, was about, and, and you've kind of hit on this thread multiple times, just this joy of like educating um, individuals on what's possible. You know, yesterday, uh, last week, we we held a, a, a gathering with with uh, several kind of generosity champions and, and one of uh, our past uh, complex gift um, families came and shared about their experience. And, uh, you know, they had in their mind uh, a gift of of 10% of the value of their business. And after we kind of gave them education and we showed them just the the power of of, of even greater giving sometimes, I actually showed them examples of 10 and 25 and, and 30. And then I showed them a 50. And, um, and he just talked about that experience with the group and reminded how when we showed him the 50% asset gift, um, uh, he started crying and he, he, he never knew the impact was going to be so great as a possibility. And so, uh, he and his wife went through and they actually, uh, completed, uh, the gift. He said, you know, told him to pray about it. They come back, they both prayed separately and, about the different numbers and they came back together and like, Hey, so, all right, so what did the Lord tell you? And, and both of them said 50%. And, um, and so that's what they did. They moved forward to the 50% asset gift and it, it, exponentially increase the amount that they were able to give away. And then in God and his, and his kindness, uh, not in the prosperity gospel manner, like you said at all, but God in his kindness, actually he sold the business for a higher value than, than he anticipated. Mm. And so his take home pay ended up being almost the absolute equivalent from had he just made a 10% gift prior to working with NCF. And so I love that, um, that education thread that, that, that you have, that we have, I've seen that with, with multiple uh, multiple times in conversations, um, uh, he actually kicked me kind of, and he said, you should have showed me 60 or 70%. <laughs> uh, but uh, I love that. Yeah, it's, it's so neat. Speaking of that education um, thread, you know, when would it, when should somebody not consider making an asset gift? Like when is it, it it's just better to, to do cash and things like that? There are various reasons for that. One would be, um, it's too late. I mean, so if you, Let's just take the scenario of a business that's going to be potentially sold. Um, there, there's a there's a point when uh, it's it's too late to make the gift. Uh, it's it's unfortunately not 
a bright line. Um, we know we know it's too late when you have an agreement to sell. Um, so if you have a purchase agreement signed, that's that's too late. And what's the IRS will collapse the the gift and the sale down. Um, it's doctrine called the assignment of income doctrine, where basically they're saying you had this right to income. It was it's kind of a done deal, and you just assign that to charity. You can't do that. It's kind of like assigning your wages. We're not going to allow you to do that. You have to pay your tax. We're going to treat it like you sold it, you paid the tax, and you made a cash gift. So that's that's too late. Um, so, um, and we know the line's somewhere before that. So there has to be some some real material risk that a transaction is not going to close. And um, a lot of navigating that involves um, the givers' advisors and. Um, we have some thoughts on that that we share with them as they advise their 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 clients. Um, but the earlier, the better. If if you know you're wanting to make this gift, there has to be some real risk that the this transaction that you have in your mind isn't going to happen, and you're going to have charity as a as a partner. Um, that has to be a real risk, um, a material risk that you grapple with, and and sometimes that happens. Right? I've I had that happen uh, real recently, and and so we had that conversation with that giver who thought they were going to be selling their business and um, they're going to look for a new buyer. But in the meantime, we're, we're going to be a co-owner. That means profits from the business are coming out into their, their giving fund. And um, so that's, that's one component is, is the timing piece. So I, uh, when should you start talking about this with your advisors, with us, as soon as it's on your heart, even if you're not selling for five years, let's just start talking about what that looks like. So you can ha- understand, sometimes there's some preparatory steps you can take to make it more impactful or easier. Um, but as soon as it's something that's on your heart, start talking about it. Um, it, it certainly, if you're looking at hiring an investment bank or, or you're starting to get offers from unsolicited offers from strategic buyers or something, have that conversation ASAP because time is of the essence. So the timing one is big. Um, if the the other one I'd say is is a gift economics. If if there's the benefit is not significant, um, then then I'd say the giver really has to um, be in prayer about whether to proceed uh, and what that what I, significant is such a mushy phrase. I, I it, let me. There's a couple of components that go into this. One one is when you're making an asset based gift. Uh, your deduction that you file for has to be supported by what's called a qualified appraisal. So you have to get a certain type of appraisal that dots all the I's and crosses the T's is very important. Um, there's a cost to that. So uh, let's say if it's a, a business, that could be a $20,000 uh, appraisal cost. So you have to factor that in. You have to factor in the the complexity, uh, the brain damage that goes along with um, doing complex things, uh, advisor time, um, so there's not a bright line of when it's worth it, but um, that's something we'd talk about and we'd have opinion on. I've, I, I've several times where I say, I just don't think the benefit is significant enough here for you to do this. I think you ought to either look at for other assets. Um, oftentimes with a business, we start the conversation with the business and I start saying, well, tell me about your real estate. Because I, I love real estate because it's um, going to usually be tax-free when charity sells it. Um, it's usually more straightforward. Oftentimes with business interests, especially with S corporations, we're going to pay some tax. Um, so that, those are the, the two things that come to my mind primarily when I say not to pursue mm-hmm. uh, something like this. I mean, maybe a third one is uh, knowing your co-owners. If, if you're a 10% owner in an organization, 
I've had many of those organizations where, yeah, my partners are Christians. They would love this kind of a, a generous approach. I have other ones where, yeah, we don't get along and uh, they're not going to do anything to help me out because most of the time you're going you're to need consent of certain folks. If that's the scenario, it's probably not something to, to pursue. Hmm. And Jeff, I think there's one more that you and I have talked a lot about. And sometimes that is the debt ratio um, that's in the business or the asset. Yeah. Yeah. So that would go in with the gift, gift economics is if you have, um, particularly with real estate and um, partnerships, LLCs, taxes, partnerships, or other partnerships, the debt is going to have a lot of impact on the gift economics for a couple of reasons that I won't get into the details, but yeah, that's an important part. Um, Jeff, this past year, uh, NCF um, was able to help uh, complete almost a, a little over a billion dollars of complex asset gifts, um, and which just honestly is mind-boggling. I've been here since 2018, and just to continue to see uh, the growth in that um, uh, in our asset-based giving is just, it, it's humbling, it's encouraging, because we, we know that... Um, that's more dollars that are able to be given to kingdom principles. I wonder, is there, um, without giving any particulars or, 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 or telling any, you know, calling out any specific businesses, but it, is there a, a, a story um, of, you know, an example that you give that just is um, just one that just really uh, exemplifies what, what a lot we've talked about today? Well, there was this one giver I was got the privilege to work with, and there's so many stories. So. Uh, I probably will have a bunch pop into my head uh, after we're off here. Uh, and oftentimes I'm seen more on the front end, like the giving side. Not, I don't get as much insight into what happens after, like the other half of the story. I think you guys probably get more of that experience. And sometimes I'm privileged to hear that and um, uh, be alongside certain givers. Um, but one that, I've heard a lot of their journey. Um, grew up in a very, very poor household. In, incredibly, like kids were bringing money in to support it. There was some um, just different challenges in that family, and uh, drew a business that uh, that just became super successful, more than they thought it it could, and eventually um, had the the opportunity to pursue a sale of that. And I got to know NCF and worked on doing a, a complex gift of an interest in that business prior to the sale. And um, and then we eventually sold alongside and a big chunk of money, um, uh, mid seven figures went into their giving fund. And I think prior to that, it was all just for them getting through a transaction, getting through the process, the numbers didn't feel as real, especially when you're a business owner. Uh, you're pouring your life into this business. It is, you eat, sleep, and drink it. Uh, you ebb and flow with the ups and downs. Your family feels it. Your children feel it. It is so much of who you are. Um, and it's, it's hard to sometimes have a different mindset. And so you get on the other side of that, and all of a sudden you have this... this um, chunk of resources that has been earmarked for kingdom purposes. And their experience, as I observed it, was the Lord was, would bring opportunities into their lives that um, they never even realized were there, that they got immense joy out of being a part of, of, of impacting 
um, incredible missions and not just writing a check, but then starting to pour into those, those ministries. And uh, I think it's had a really transformational effect on, on their family, um, kind of a, a redeeming of so much of their, their past to coming from nothing and now being the source of, of love and blessing to others in a similar situation to what they experienced. Um, there's so many stories like that, uh, where you're, you're just taking the first fruits and, and earmarking it for, for the Lord and, um, for those purposes. And he's, he's so faithful, um, through that. Jeff, thanks for, thanks for sharing that. Um, I, I wonder as we are working our way closer to a close, are there, do you have any other thoughts or advice that you would give to, uh, to the listeners, uh, here of this episode? Be a asset giving evangelist. Hmm. I think a lot of, a lot of our ministry is one of the information as we talked about, um, but there are a lot of people that just don't know you can do this. And, um, you know, I know Eric, part of your story is you found out about it after you sold the business. Mm. Um, it's, it's just, uh, just talking about it. You know, you, public stock is an, is an easy one that you can, there's a lot of people in that situation. Like, you know, you can give public stock to a, a to National Christian Foundation and it's really beneficial. You should talk to your accountant and talk to, uh, somebody from NCF, um, but then to more talking to business owners, talking to accountants and lawyers and, um, making them know that there's resources available that, cause I, even for an advisor, putting myself back in private practice, you have so much to worry about with your clients. There's so much to know, especially when you're advising businesses, you have, I mean, you have employment issues, you have obviously your corporate stuff, you have tax, you have real estate environment, all this stuff. Uh, it can be overwhelming. Like this is another thing I need to to know about. Um, knowing that there's resources like NCF out there that can um, come alongside uh, advisors is, is a big, big thing. Um, so lean into the the informational side, get to know about it, talk about it, um, connect people. There's a lot of power in connections. Um, never uh, underestimate what the Lord can do. I love that story of the different percentages because mm. um, I, I do experientially, I think people still, even if they're pursuing asset-based giving, um, a, a lot of them tend to err maybe on the more conservative side than maybe they could. Um, and obviously that's the, between them and the Lord, but there's something about uh, just stretching and, mm. um, and the, the glory of not just the impact that is a huge part, but the story of it, like, uh, how much glory uh, does the Lord get through something radical? How much joy in Jesus do you get by um, letting go of, I mean, you think of the widow with her two mites. She gave more abundantly than anybody. Mm-hmm. The Lord's not interested in the, the amount. He's interested in your heart. And that's, I think, the, the main thing through all generosities. He wants your heart. He wants you um, following him forming a relationship with him. And he wants to use whatever means possible to do that. And this is a big one, especially if you have wealth. He talks He talks so much about how that can draw us away from dependence, joyful dependence upon the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, so seeing an opportunity to to lean into your intimacy with Jesus um, through giving. Thanks, Jeff. Be a asset-based uh, giving uh, evangelist. Uh, sometimes we say around here, friends don't let friends give cash. And... Yeah. Uh, and, 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 um, yes, you can give cash, but there might be other more impactful ways. 
Well, Jeff, we really appreciate you being on the podcast today. Thank you for your time. Um, on the Generosity Now podcast, we do seek to inspire, equip, and connect our listeners for generous kingdom impact and whole life stewardship. For, or, for more information on us, please check us out at ncfgiving.com forward slash Rocky Mountains and generositynow.org. Please go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a five-star review and share it with your network. This is an episode that I think it'd be very good for you to share with friends of yours who are steward, that you know that are stewarding assets, that they have a business that they might um, be stewarding or real estate. This is a great one to share to them. So please go ahead and do that. And today's doxology, Lori's going to close us with, is comes out of Romans chapter 12. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Jeff, thank you so much for being here. You are a joy to work with and it's just, it's fun to be able to, to be able to educate our givers together. Yeah, I shouldn't say. Thanks for having me. It was a joy. Thank you.